following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Um, so today we're not talking about babies, but about end of life um, issues, which is we are going to discuss. It came up a few times over the last few weeks about giving morphine at the end of life um, and how that works if it's going to kill the patient. But we're, we're going to start with a different topic, which will hopefully lead into that. Um, the question is in general, the question he's discussing here, first of all, the opioid epidemic in general um, and how that works with patients, um, as we'll talk about. And specifically, at the end, the end of life, sometimes patients request um, maybe even illegal drugs sometimes or drugs that... Uh, psychedelic drugs or things like that, that's something we should be giving to patients. I want to discuss that a little. And then, uh, so we'll include all the topics. Well, then we'll get to the morphine issue, maybe in a couple of weeks, if we, uh, if we have less questions. Um, so the, the, the question here um, that he's discussing, um, first of all, in general, as we discussed many times, it's good to know we discussed that pain and it's really because that's really the issue what it boils down to at the end is it's a pain question of how do we how far can we I guess how much risk we even take to the patient's life to alleviate pain so the first thing to know is as we discussed many times in halacha in Jewish law pain is considered tantamount to physical illness um, psychological illness or emotional illness is equal to physical illness for example so we we are for example mechal Shabbos we violate Shabbat to treat a patient who's in a, who's emotionally sick, just as we would to treat a patient who's physically sick. Again, if there's a danger to life. So let's say someone um, has an emotional breakdown on Shabbat, you're allowed to do whatever you have to do, even violate Shabbat, um, to take care of them. I'm not sure it's a violation if you're allowed to do it, but anyway. No, I, I mean, technically it's a violation. Okay. You're right. That's a different question. But is it... Is it considered a violation? Is it is how do we view Shabbat in situations like that? Is it Sunday or that's a, that's a technical issue? But I mean, when I mean violate, I mean in quotes. Yeah. Are you technically violate Shabbat? You're doing you something which right, you wouldn't be doing on Shabbat in a regular situation. You do it to again. It has to be like uh, you know, if that's a patient, there's a danger to the life of the patient to some to some extent. So even an emotional case where a person needs psychotic drugs, they're having a breakdown, or they're a danger to themselves. Of course, you violate Shabbat. Okay, so now the question is, so pain is considered an emotional illness. And we see that in, in different cases in the Talmud, which maybe we'll get to. Um, it discusses things, different violations that you might be able to do to, to alleviate someone's pain. Okay, and again, even on Shabbat, their pain is considered illness. So that's number one. So it is an illness. Um, the question is then it becomes, like any other illness, how much risk can you take in treating an illness in order to, to treat the illness, how much I mean, live risk to the life of the patient, whereas that's really what it boils down to when you're dealing with excessive amounts of morphine um, or even different psychedelic drugs that could be dangerous to the patient, but it will help their emotional state. Um, so that's really the question that it boils down to. And the bigger question, as we'll see, is also how do you weigh, which is, a, I think, debate that's going on now in the United States, is how do you weigh public policy versus the individual patient. Because many times this might be good for this patient, and there might not be a danger for this specific patient. It might actually, or the, or the benefits outweigh the risks for this patient. But in general, if you make this legal, it can affect the whole um, society at large uh, with other inherent dangers. So do you view, how do we weigh within halacha, and we discussed this in the past many times, and so that's what it boils down to. How do you weigh the question of society versus the individual. We've had that for years. It's called the Schedule 1. Speak English for the us lay people. Hmm? Speak English for us lay people. What, what do you... Uh, uh, the drugs are... They even know the schedule of drugs. It's not available to the population. <coughs> but uh, it depends on how high the schedule goes, uh, which a doctor can prescribe, and some of them, not even all doctors can prescribe at the top level. Uh, okay. So it's, uh, it's, it's supposed to have been taken care of. True, but sometimes you'll have like the quite like the big marijuana question, which is being debated. Even that. So I'm saying so. There's a question when you Until legalize recently. it, you end up legal even for medical reasons. Then <coughs> society at large will be affected. It becomes uh, you know 
you bring it down and you make it more accessible. Why really the question that you see it with opioids? I don't know what. I don't know what. Look at um, opioids. The right people I, are becoming addicted, I don't even know what though it's legal. Was before this recent wave. Does anybody know where it was? I mean, d doctors could prescribe it. Before, no, it's no, 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 drug. There's no indication to prescribe. It's an illegal there drug. There was no indication, no indication. to prescribe it, but uh, there were. There no, he's saying it was totally illegal until they legalized medicine. Was okay, so that wasn't even a Schedule One. About was. 20 years ago, started investigating it for nausea, for mm -hmm. chemotherapy. Okay, so That's recently, it. It was that? an investigational drug. Mm -hmm. So it had nothing so to do with... Investigational drug, is still, you, you, there are people who can prescribe it. Yeah, but and it's very, uh, very limited. Of course it's limited. I thought that was what you were referring to. Oh, well, what I'm saying is, look, forget even where it's legal. Look at opioids. Morphine. We, we're having a problem. No, morphine is less, maybe less. Morphine is just the risk to the patient. That's a question of risk to the patient's life. But opioids, you see people where legally, doctors are legally prescribing it. Morphine. Illegally. No, legally. Yes. Morphine and patients... Opioids. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And patients are becoming uh, uh, addicted, and we have a problem in this country now with addiction of course, of course because of doctors' prescriptions. In many cases, absolutely. So that's so that's where you have a question: individual patient versus public policy. How do we, which you know, this patient needs it, but we know there's a problem when we allow it to be prescribed. So, at so all. Uh, at all or in certain in certain they quantities. Yes, that's so. That's exactly the question. So you have this individual might need it, but there's a public policy. There's a public policy that we're dealing with clearly in this country. Clearly, man, you haven't taken your opioids yet this morning. Okay. Good morning. Welcome. <laughs> You're all agitated. In, some, you, you, in your opinion. In my opinion. <laughs> have uh, How's your Spanish? Speak Spanish? Uh, Hebrew? How about Hebrew? Okay, we don't speak it either. You're going to read it in translation. Uh, That's one more, one more now. Um, okay, so let's, so let's actually start. So this is a response um, here. We're going to read in Hebrew and translate. Um, it's uh, written to a rabbi in Israel about this question, not of morphine, but um, of different psychedelic drugs like LSD that a patient requested at the end of life, um, and and uh, the rabbi is going to address the issue as to why he thinks it's a problem, but then he brings it to other rabbis and they per end up permitting it. So it's just to see the both sides of the coin, as usual in Judaism. Actually trying it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, okay, so so we're on this this page here, top bold letters. Even if you don't read Hebrew, you can follow along, make believe. Matan samim The question here is um, giving, uh, prescribing drugs in order to ease the pain at the end of life. Okay, and this was written in 1992. Question was posed. in honor in honor of the rabbi. Esmach Levar, this is the letter from the original doctor, who he is the head of the, the, the I guess you call him the CEO of the Misrata Briut, okay, which is the Ministry of Health in Israel. And he says like this, the question was, Esmach Levar in Kvod Rav, what is the opinion of the rabbi? To treat the patient who is the end, who is end of life stages. Thank you very much. Alan, come sit here. sliced one in here, so I don't know. Service, I guess. The bag of slices kosher. This is not for me. This is for Ron. This is for everyone. This is a hofa. I can't do it, Rabbi. I can see that oh, slide over there. And we have exception. <laughs> we have a license. You read English. Poetic license. Come on, moving. Let's go. So, bisamim uh, misukanim. Dangerous drugs that are not um, on the legal list of drugs, meaning of, of treatment. Kigon, example for a ill person who, um, who, is, uh, who is close to death, wrote a little cocaine, wants to take cocaine. Oh, Samim Halusijanim. That's an English word. Halusijanim. Okay. Like LSD. Like LSD, kidei lahagish tov, to feel good in quotation marks. Ulaflig ba olam shel aziut, 
and uh, I'm not sure what exactly that means, but to uh, maybe get out of the reality of the world, something like that. Chelik Meishalat Safa. Okay, so that's just he brings the he says he brings a medrash a Rashi that says that um, it's sort of like the, it's a little racist, but we'll say it anyway. We don't mind racism here in this class. Um, the uh, we the Rashi says on the parsha of kosher when the Torah talks about uh, eating kosher food. So Rashi says that the food is in a certain sense not healthy for your body spiritually or physically. So the question is, if that's true, he says, you see many non-Jews who eat non-kosher and they, they live happy, healthy lives, right? So, so Rashi's example is, it's sort of like, uh, he says, like two patients. This is Rashi's uh, an analogy. Rashi says there, it's We have a patient who's about to die. You know, Rashi says, his example is, guy's going to die anyway. You know, you can give him whatever he wants. What's the difference? Let him smoke, you know, his last cigarettes. Let me finish the point. So let him smoke, you know. People who are who are at the end stages of life, let him enjoy life a little, right? You go to MD Anderson, you see people have long cancer and they're puffing away, right? So one day, let me finish. I'm not sure so, Rashi say, well, so Rashi says, so that's the same example. He says, listen, for people who are not leading a non, they're sort of, he gives that example, non-Jews, who their lives are not spiritually healthy anyway, they can eat non-kosher. It doesn't affect them. Um, it's irrelevant to them. For Jews who are spiritually on a, diff- on a different level, they have to keep <coughs> a better diet. Just like a patient who is going to live, that patient, you don't let smoke. You don't, you give healthy foods. Patient, you know, I've been many times, I've been to, uh, um, uh, um, what's it called? End of, uh, hospice. Hospice. The patient says they want a cheeseburger. They, what do you want? You know, they're about to die. They, you know, get them a cheeseburger. Get them eat the cheeseburger. Let them enjoy it. The last two days, you know, the end of life. In that sense, okay. So Rashi gives that example, that analogy, um, is that's why non-Jews don't have to eat kosher. Okay. Now we said uh, our statement. Yes. So there's there's so many this, questions. So this gets <laughs> into the public policy sphere now because you're saying kosher food, in essence, is really a spiritual sort of uh, issue, not a physical sort of issue. That's the argument Rashi's presenting. Yeah. And in a public policy issue, that's really the I- the issue that you. Yeah, some people can handle cocaine, LSD, whatever, but for the benefit of the nation, you can't permit this. No, he didn't get into that. He's saying it. He's bringing that that Rashi to show you, listen, this guy's going to die anyway. Let him enjoy. Even if LSD is a problem, let this guy enjoy his last uh, few few hours on this earth. That's the problem right there. Okay. You're conflating two issues. There's one issue which is sort of minimal, relieving suffering. And the other is, do you have an obligation to actually make him feel good? Mm, no, I'm saying the assumption is pain, the LSD is going to relieve the suffering. L- LSD so he can No, but I'm, Yeah, but I'm saying that's going to relieve the suffering. Mood? Feeling good does relieve suffering. I mean, it doesn't mean his pain's going to go away necessarily, but he's in a different place. That he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't care stages, that he's in pain. There are three stages, suffering, neutral, and feeling good. There may not be a drug that takes you from suffering to neutral. The only drugs available may be taking you from suffering to feeling good. Well, giving someone LSD is taking them from feeling good before you've actually tried to relieve su- uh, suffering. So is your obligation to give them the pain pill, or is your obligation but this is to give them the pain Again, I think, yeah, saying it's, it's yeah, going to get him out of his situation, whatever that is. You're right, sometimes getting out of a situation just means we'll relieve the pain. In this case, it's putting him in a different place where he, he won't care that he's in pain. Is his opinion better than the doctor's opinion? Is no, that's, no, that's, that's a doctor's question. You're right. Spe- he asked a specific question about this patient who specifically wants this drug. Right. He, I bet you the patient thinks his opinion is better than the doctor's opinion. Oh, yeah. 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 No, no, he doesn't. I'm going to point out. Manny. Yes, I'm not. I'm not. I want to point out it. Shelly, sorry. Manny has a very good point. Shelly. Russ, we gotta we gotta go. It's a holiday. People gotta barbecue before the rain. Um, the, I don't know. Um, the the point I just want to point out. I'm not condoning eating non-kosher at the end of life. By the way, um, Manny has a good point. I, I wasn't bringing that analogy. Rashi's analogy is just if you're not on that spiritual level, you know, you could have your non-kosher because if you're like a patient at the end of life. That's Rashi's analogy. He's bringing that analogy. Doesn't mean he's not saying the end of life you can give a patient non-kosher. The, the analogy is the end of life we allow patient to do things which may be 
normally we wouldn't give to a healthy patient. Because even if there's a risk of, well, listen, the guy's going to die anyway. Let him, let him. Have you changed be more No, man? no, no, not, not. He's not talking about kosher, not kosher. Of course not. Mm-hmm. Some at the end of life, the more, the more reason they should keep kosher. Because yeah. they got closer, closer, less time to the pearly gates. So, uh, you don't want to arrive at the pearly gates right, with a cheeseburger, cheeseburger right now. <laughs> Dripping down your, your chin, yeah. Okay. Um, I did have, okay, I did, the truth is I do have that many times. I'm stuck in that situation. I go to the hospice and the, you know, I say, what can I bring? And they say, cheeseburger, what do you do? <laughs> the person's dying, the family's there. You do it? <laughs> no. God, I lose my what job. Lose? I lose my job. Um, Can you bring them a hamburger and a piece of cheese? <laughs> that's and tell them you have to eat this and you have to wait for you half an hour. Do you could do something. Yes, vegan could cheese. Yeah. You could I'll bring the cheese. Bake it out. Yeah, she's saying vegan. With a vegan right, piece of cheese. That's it won't taste like cheese, but it looks like cheese. And they won't sell it either. Yeah, I don't want them leaving this world with that no, bitter taste in their mouth. Yeah, that's a bad taste to leave this world. Cheating the dying man. Vegan no cheese. No cheeseburgers. Anybody whatever. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, it's signed. The, the question signed by Dr. Boaz Lev, Mankal Misrata Briut, who's the uh, the head manager, directing manager of the Misrata Briut which is the Ministry of Health. Okay, so he starts off here. So he's, he's going to be very negative about this. He's going to bring... Who's asking the question here? I just said, Dr. Boaz Lev, Mankal Misrata Briut. And he so was approached by a patient. That's what it sounds like. Or someone, in the, someone, a physician under okay. Boaz Lev exactly. was approached by Okay, yes. so, right. so he says, Shuva. So the answer is like this. He says, According to my humble opinion, this is the rabbi talking now, Hayanira... It would seem to me there are many reasons to prohibit matan samim, giving them drugs or similar um, treatments to a patient um, close to death. Now he's going to go through the different reasons that he believes it's a problem. So, so number one, Nomar Mesechet Yuma, in Tractate Yoma, the Talmud says, Mishnah Nafal of Mapolet, if there's a building collapse, a famous Gemara, which we've discussed here many times, you have a building collapse on Shabbat. Okay? Suffolk who's Sham, Suffolk Enosham. The question is, we don't, we're not even sure that there were people in the building. Maybe there were people there, maybe there weren't people in the building. Suffolk Chai, Suffolk Mate. Even if there's someone there, the guy probably is a good chance, it's the bottom floor of the parking garage, he's probably not alive anymore. Okay, still, and the Gemara says, no matter how many doubts there are as to whether there's still the ability to save a life, we go ahead and start removing the rubble on Shabbat. When it comes to Shabbat, as we discussed many times, we don't hear, we don't go with numbers. Normally, within halakha, we use numbers. Is what's the chances, what's the majority, what's the minority of the numbers. We go with statistics. When it comes to, to violating Shabbat, when it comes to, or even during the week, or Yom Kippur, whatever it is, saving a life, numbers are irrelevant. So even if there's a 0.001% chance of saving a life, of course we violate any prohibition in the Torah. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. In fact, you're allowed to remove the rubble, do whatever you have to do to remove the rubble, to check if there's anyone in this building, without question. Okay, and that's a violation of Shabbat, because you're, you're removing rubble. Is usually you're going to have to use big machinery, whatever the case is. Okay, Matsu now you find the guy alive, uh, the Gemara goes on to say, let's say you come and you find the guy's body there, but the guy is, is, has a major brain injury. He, you know, he's not going to make it. It's clear that he's, there's no chance this guy is coming out alive if he maybe lived for a few minutes or a few hours at most. Stull, says the Talmud, you're allowed to violate Shabbat to save him, even though he's surely going to die within the next few hours, meaning his, his head is smashed in to major head injury. And there's no way this guy's going to survive. You're still allowed to violate Shabbat to remove his, to remove the patient, and do whatever you can, even if you know for sure he's going to die. Uh, why? Because that's what we call in halacha. It's called chaye shah. There's chaye olam, which means eternal life, which obviously we know is not eternal. Nobody lives eternally, but it means regular life. And then there's chaye shah, which means um, temporary. The medical term, temporary life, I guess. Which means he's going to die, but you, we allow you to violate Shabbat even for temporary life. Okay, when it comes to life, as, we, as we'll see, even one second of life in, in halacha is considered um, infinity. Life is of infinite value, and therefore, even if the guy's going to live for another extra five minutes, by you treating him, then we have to do that on Shabbat. Chayesha would be terminalist? No, chayesha literally means temporary life. Sha right. means for, he'll live for an hour. But we don't care. You only have a question. Chayesha only comes to play when it's 
um, temporary life versus permanent life in a treatment, meaning there's a chance if I do the surgery on him, he can live a regular life, but there's a major risk in the surgery, versus if I don't do the surgery, he's going to live for six months. So then you have a question. But as far as he's saying violating any prohibition in the Torah, you can violate any prohibition even for temporary life. So even if the guy's only going to live for three days, we can violate Shabbat, and he's going into cardiac arrest now, we can still uh, violate Shabbat to, to save his life. Okay? So that's, that's the Gemara. So what does he prove from this? He says, because of Amiri, the, one of the commentaries there says, we're on the third line in the answer, in that tract. What's the purpose? So why, if you think about it, why are we violating Shabbat? This guy's going to die anyway. Okay, so what's the point? If he's only going to live a few hours, why should we violate Shabbat? To, to, what are we, what, how are we helping him? So the Miri explains, no, because as we're saying, even a few minutes of life is of infinite value. Why? Um, if the guy's conscious, he's saying the guy couldn't do tshuva in those few hours. For all the cheeseburgers he ate during his lifetime. So he has a few hours to, to do, to confess sin and speak to God and do and repent. Okay, so that's enough of a reason to violate Shabbat. To, to, that he'll live a few more hours and you don't know what can happen spiritually in those few hours. Yes. So if the guy's got a brain injury, he'll live for a few hours, can he do tshuva? I mean, you know, you don't know what's going on. Uh, that's what I'm asking. Assumption. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's also an example. It doesn't mean li- literally only well, that. I mean it means it's in a spiritual it's level. You don't know what can uh, right, so person can do in a few hours. Still be something going on between God and someone. Yes, yeah, so the story I always say over. I heard from Rabbi J D. Blech, he, uh, Professor J D. Blech. He said that we went. He once went to visit his grandmother was in the hospital, end of life. Went to visit her on a Friday night, and. Uh, and he saw on the chart, he still had charts outside, so, you know, basically, DNA, don't do anything for, they say, you know, DNR, sh- DNR sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, apologize. It is July 4th, it's a legal holiday. Um, so, uh, so he says that uh, he got very upset, he told the doctors, change the chart, and do whatever you can. Anyway, he said, as he was, he, he, he left, he came, she was unconscious came back the next day to visit again on Shabbat and uh, he says when he was leaving the room in the morning she said she said to him good Shabbos she said uh, Shabbat Shalom he said mm-hmm. you don't know what that means one good Shabbos what in halacha the, the halacha says that um, that if you do, someone doesn't make Kiddush but if they say Shabbat Shalom that's their fulfillment of the biblical obligation of Kiddush Kiddush just means you have to sanctify the day so it's a biblical obligation to make Kiddush on Shabbos we do it a cup of wine that's all rabbinical the biblical obligation is just to say uh, you, you're separating out the day of Shabbat. So by saying good Shabbat, so Shabbat Shalom, you already sanctified the day. It's a biblical commandment. So she did one more mitzvah, he said. She died later that afternoon, but he said she got in one more mitzvah by saying good Shabbat. So you so see, you know, that, that's what we're referring to here. So we don't know, there's a spiritual, every second of life can have major spiritual it's ramifications. More, uh, the yeah. second assumption in our assessment that this person only has a few hours to live and may be brain dead or whatever assumptions we make are inaccurate. That's the second assumption underlying... I can't say that. You can say that. I'm saying it. Okay. Because it's, it, it, it's humbling. You're saying doctors don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Right. In other words. Exactly. <laughs> Agreed. That, yes. that, you know, look, we have all sorts of tests to say this person is brain dead. But you have to acknowledge that's our limitation of understanding what brain dead means. Who knows what yes. when your brain is dead? Right. That's that's not what it, that that is true. What you're saying that's not what the Miri is. The Miri is saying there's a spiritual aspect. Right. right. So you're saying well, so. I'd say doctors are even less capable in that area than the physical area, but as all human beings are. So that's what he says. Lefiza. So he goes on to say, You see from this, his point is, you see from this Gemara that the last seconds of life, the last minutes or hours of life, are very important, and are many times set aside to, in order for a person to do tshuva, to repent on their past, and to change the past of their lives. Not to be, he says, if you're in a psychedelic world, you're taking that away from them. So that's number one, that's his problem number one. He's saying if you're giving them psychedelic drugs, they're not going to be of sane mind in order to be able to do what they have to do and confess their sins, whatever it is. Yes. This this week in JAMA or Archives of Medicine, there's an article about <coughs> a 
woman who's terminally ill requested assisted suicide in California. The doctor talked her out of it and talked her out of it. She lived for an extra week, and during that last week, she was able to do all sorts of wonderful things to say goodbye to her friend. This, that's directly right. applicable. Yes, that's what he's saying. It's one of the arguments for <coughs> physician assisted yes, suicide. You. Yes, bless you. Yes. Shulchan Aruch, and the same halachas in Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law says, Omrim Lechol, and we discussed this too a few weeks ago, that you're supposed to say to the person who's dying, although he has to be done sensitively, you know, that uh, you got to start setting up, your, making your will, as, and etc., making amends, if you owe people money, going through the end-of-life issues with them. In Hilvo Hifkid, if you owe money or people owe you money, it's Lacherim. Cherim Hilvo Hifkid, there's many things that Shachanar says you're supposed to do. Speak to the patient about the end of life. And one of them, of course, is Shuva. And don't be scared of death, etc. Again, it has to be done in a sensitive way. To know how to do it. Probably shouldn't be done by the doctor. Um, leave that to the rabbi. Um, okay. Um, and it, it used says to be done by the doctor. I don't think doctors are trained anymore to do yeah. that sort of stuff. It used to be routinely done by doctors. Yeah. Okay. You have well, to consult the end of life specialist. Exactly. The brand man and the uh, doctors. It's used, week. this used to be part of what doctors <laughs> did. So. Got to go through the insurance parts. He says, well, and the Shulchan Aruch goes on to say, You say to him, you tell him to confess his sins. Of course, as we mentioned, a few weeks ago, we were learning the laws of Bikr Cholim, that uh, you tell him, listen, just because you're confessing doesn't mean you're going to die. Many people confessed, and they didn't die. Doesn't mean uh, it's the end, necessarily. And on the contrary, in the merit of the fact that you're confessing your sins, um, it's, it's sort of like Yom Kippur, you're going to live longer. So Let me just diverge. If yes. you say you do like it and you don't die, and then five years later you're going to die again, do you have to say it again? Well, you did a lot between <laughs> those five years. The assumption is you got it, you accumulated a lot more. Uh, so just the last five years. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> or don't <laughs> sin during those five years. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like Yom Kippur. You know. What I said before. Yeah. And then he says he brings from a different book that says uh, that it discusses this at length. In Omar, um, he says as the I don't know what that book is, but he says it quotes that if you just because someone learned Torah in their youth, I'll Torah any I don't have to learn anymore. I know, I know everything. I learned it in my youth. I went to Sunday school. I know everything I got to know. or I don't have strength to learn Torah. Studying Torah is the lengthens your days. Okay, so that's number one. So he says um, he's not happy about these drugs because they will take away that ability to live your last um, few um, hours on this world with that, not, and that's right spiritual level. Okay, that's number one. People have claimed that they use LSD to attain a spiritual level. Right. You get all kinds of insight into I don't have personal experience, I can't tell you, but... But, uh, also, if they've done question. everything that's prescribed in the Shulchan Aruch, say, now can I have the LSD? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is all a good question. Gonna, number two, so we're at the bottom there. Base, he says like this, Nemuke Nosaf, another point, an added point, Nomar Bishal Shus Igris Moshe, says this, so the, we, disc we actually, we gave a class around two years ago on the legalization of marijuana, we discussed it here. So Moshe Weizen has a tshuva um, where he says around five or six points why marijuana is prohibited, why marijuana use is prohibited. Not in not in the context of medicine of medical marijuana. He's for recreational purposes there. So he says and he, he's quoting that Shuva, he says, Adover Isra Shimish Basaman. Moshe Feinstein discusses this question of using drugs. Shugorim Taiva So one of the issues there he says it, it creates a great um, literally the word means lust, but it causes you to want other things. It's an addiction, and it causes this addiction. I'm not sure the addiction is the wrong word. It causes you to have other lusts. Craving. Cravings for other stuff. Gateway. Okay. Drug. So he says, um, and that's, that in itself is prohibition. To put yourself in a state where you cause yourself to have cravings that are prohibited is in itself a problem. Like putting a stumbling block before yes. yourself. Yes. It says, Oh, no, my Ramban. We turn the page and he says, Ramban, he quotes Nachmanides. It says, Kiddoshim to you. It's included in the prohibition of, there's a biblical prohibition on the, on the other side of the same page. Um, biblical prohibition of Kiddoshim to you, that we have an obligation as Jews to be holy, quote unquote, as it says in Leviticus. 
That means even something that's permitted, a permitted pleasure, is a certain sense, you know, you don't, uh, you don't go all the way. When you go on the cruise, don't, you know, you, you can get the, the other side, the window, not, not the, uh, like the portal side, not portal, the back side, the two sides on the cruise. The window looking out the sea, starboard. starboard, right. Okay, meaning if you, even with things that are permitted, Rashi understands there means, let's say, there, there's something called a tinus arrival, which means when you're having a good steak, you leave over the last little piece, a little self-control, just to show that you're in control. Okay, so even if you're having it's a good... inside versus an outside stateroom. Yes, that was the starboard and there's the another... Port, don't that's just that's just right. the ship. This is all about right. sex, actually. Yeah, from time. Time. True, as a rationalist too, yes, and everything. Meaning, even things that are permitted, you gotta control, you have self control. These, uh, these psychedelic drugs, uh, they only bring harm to the body and not good. We have to be careful as a public policy to make sure these drugs are not brought into our Jewish society. Not to allow them in any which way in our society. So that's a public policy issue, really. So even though for this patient, these issues might not be relevant, but he's saying since we have to be very careful with these drugs, um, because in generally they're prohibited, so you have to be very careful. And he would seem to be saying not to give it to the patient. Yes. This is also very important in the debate over physician-assisted suicide. There's something called suicide contagion. In states which permit physician-assisted suicide, the suicide rate goes up in general. No, of course. By physicians or by people who? By people who are not. No, just, just people. Yeah, once you allow, once you say exactly, now. once once you're making something permitted, which is the issue of medical marijuana. Well, once you're making it medically permitted, so now obviously going to become legalized. You know, it's just a slippery slope. It's a matter of time. So anything you make legal, somewhat, is going to allow. Is going to obviously, you know, have a greater impact, not just in the legal sense. The camel's nose on the yes. detent argument. Once you permitted for exactly. even the smallest little it's thing then it starts being permitted for everything. All right, snowball effect. We call it in late. Gimel, um, number three, second paragraph there, he says, Sibonosef is another reason less hard to prohibit it. It's Kidei Shaloyi, and this is really what we're talking about, Shaloyi Tia Pirza, the Choma Satia of Shalasam. Because again, once you permit it, and this is really what we were just saying, is once you break down that wall, um, it opens it up for for the greater public. He knows himself as Baba Kama. So he brings a story here in Tractate uh, Baba Kama, which is a very interesting story. We know his point here is going to show you that public policy sometimes overrides the individual. Um, and, he, and that's how he understands the story. A very strange story in the Talmud here, and I'll read it to you. So like this, uh, the Tanarabanan, um, it's talking about here, actually, this is in the context of damages, stealing. So there's certain um, types of animals that will go into people's property and eat. So. I think it's talking about uh, a goat. I'll read you the story. Let's read it. Turn about a ma'aseh b'chaserech. There was an occurrence involved a certain pious person. Sheyigonech milibo. He would groan from pain. He was in major pain, and he found no relief for his pain. Shalu lerofim, and he asked the physicians um, what to do. Vamrulo, and they said, "Ein lo takana. There's nothing. There's no remedy. Ad sheyinak chalav roseach mishachus l'shachus." He has to suckle hot, fresh milk from a live animal every morning. Okay? That's the only thing that will, uh, you know, just taking it straight from the animal. Um, I don't know what disease this is, maybe. Uh, but that, that will help. You, you ever prescribe this? No. Uh, this <laughs> Should I? Um, well, so let's find out. They brought him a, a, they brought the sick man a goat. Okay? The kashulo bikaramita, they tied it to the end of his bed. Um, and he would, he would suckle from it every morning. After several days, his colleagues, uh, rabbis, came to visit him. When they saw the goat tied to the legs of the bed, they turned around the Amru and they went out of the house. And they said, Armed robbers are in the house of this man. We should visit him. Yashu Badku, they examined All they found was this sin that he had a goat in his house. Um, meaning the, the the Talmud says goats are problems. Why? It's because they forage, they'll, they'll eat anything and they go into people's property and they steal from other people. So you shouldn't have goats around. Okay, so 
so they because they they rob and steal so to speak this guy had a goat tied to his bed so the rabbis left the house they were very upset they said they can't visit him um, so uh, so even though he says Omar um, even though it was the time of his death basically this guy was dying he needed to take care of his pain um, he says even and he, this guy went on to say I know that's the only sin I've ever did was bringing this goat to my house um, and I violated the transgression of my my colleagues rulings which is not to have a goat okay so it's a very strange Gemara but the point is you can't have a goat yeah, well, you have one? Or you can't have a goat you in have the one? house. In the house. Uh, or no, I don't know what it means exactly. Rabbit's actually very wild. If it's outside, can you circle for it Okay, Michelle, let's have one of them. You got it. Like no, it. no, it's too much. It's too much. Too much stuff. <laughs> let's, let's try to finish this. There's no, there's no available yeah, in the point. suckling immediately from an animal. It's uh, just a... No, there isn't. There's not. So you could there have a goat. There should be. It's blowing back. Well, one second. So the point, so what's his point from this? So he says... Um, so what's the correct way? He says, the Kosov Amiri, the Amiri writes there, listen to Samiri, not the commentary on the, on the Talmud writes about this story. He says, This guy is dying of pain. He's dying. And he said, this is the only remedy. So this guy sounds like he might die without suckling his goat. Still, it's, still it says, um, um, Even though normally to save a life, we, we allow violations. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is not even, it's not a real violation. It's the rabbi said, don't have a goat because it will come to stealing other people's property. He says, you see that something that was instituted because of public policy, because it might harm others, like in this case where the goat will go into other people's property. That's why the rabbi said, don't have a goat because it will harm other people. We, we, so, they were so upset about this violation. So, meaning, even though for this individual he needed it to save his life, they still they were upset at it. So you see, he's proof from here. He wants to bring that public policy versus individual. Public policy wins out. That's his point. Um, that's what he wants to bring from the story in the Talmud. Um, that we see again. This, which is really the main question here, you have public policy versus this one guy. He needs it. It's pikor nefesh. The doctor said this is the only remedy. This is the only thing that will take away his pain. Still. Um, they they were upset when the rabbis came to visit him. They left. Said, "How could he have a goat in his house?" <laughs> quick. Yeah, actually, example. Quick story. New, New Zealand and Galapagos, where the goats were introduced, particularly in Galapagos Island, there had goats, and the goats would graze, eat all the grass, and then in addition to the sailors eating all the turtles, the turtles started dying because they didn't have long necks. There was no low-lying grass, no low-lying vegetation, and the turtles started dying out. The goats... So now what's they, your point? They shoot goats. I mean, the, the rabbis are very wise. Goats really are a problem, a public <laughs> policy problem. <laughs> okay, no goats. It's yeah. Yeah, but but it's yeah, a, at, at the same, same time... It's a similar thing in New Zealand and elsewhere. Yeah, no, the yeah. people yeah. live off goats if, for their... Rabbis. Yeah. If, if we look at... It's a figurative what, example, really. You know, in, 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 in Torah, this one. they had... Herds of goats. Yeah, listen, I, we're not so. saying, I guess it means in an urban area where there's chance, that's what it's talking about. Obviously, if you have, it doesn't say it's prohibited to, to own yeah, a goat. In the urban area where it's going to go into the next guy's backyard, you can't really listen to those days, you know, it's not like today. So it's going to harm other people, that's what we're saying. They made a takana, don't have goats. Don't, don't have own goats a goat. in your house. Yes, or. Right, uh, I would learn house. from this don't invite rabbis into your house. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a very good, that is. Maybe Especially true, but if you have a goat in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yes. That is true. You've been not good to invite rabbis to always find something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Ron's not here, so you got to fill in for Ron. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's true. It's a valid See, point. Coming, is that because rabbis are in public policy danger? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's number three. Number four, I want to get to the punchline, which is he ends up permitting it, so... So let's get to. So this is that's point number three. Point number four. Dalit on the sheet. Novi B'shachanar says another thing. Chola shemes la meis ein modina. So we learned. We discussed this. Actually, uh, we mentioned it a few weeks ago also. Which is, let's say, um, God forbid, someone this uh, someone is very sick. Okay, um, and there's one of someone that they would have to normally sit shivan dies. Okay, a relative of theirs, either a sibling whatever it is, parents. So the halach is, you're not supposed to, you're not allowed to let them know. 
because by letting them know, even though they have to say Kaddish, they have to say Shiva, will, could affect their illness in a serious way, don't tell them. You're not supposed to let them know. It says, If you have a patient who someone, an immediate family member died, do not let them know. Even though they're supposed to say Shiva, meaning in a case where obviously it's a serious illness, we're not talking about the person has the flu. We're talking about in a serious illness where, um, where it could affect their emotional state and which we, Halacha believes, and I think contemporary medicine agrees, that, uh, that emotional, your emotional state can affect longevity of, of your illness and, and how your, 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 your physical illness is coming along. So that's the halacha. So he quotes this halacha. So you don't let them know. It might affect their mind, which could affect their, their illness. So he says, so you see, so that's the halacha, by the way. And this is in practice today. It's very important, especially with elderly parents. Sometimes, God forbid, have had cases where their child dies. was older. They're in their 90s. Okay, and they might not even be ill, but they're 95. They're, you know, in a nursing home. And then their, their child dies. Don't, better not to tell them. Let them, you know, they, you know, the kid probably didn't come to visit too often anyway. They're not going to notice. So uh, better don't, don't tell them. Okay. Is it a mitzvah to bury the dead? I mean, it's of course. So you're preventing them from doing a mitzvah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but but again, their exactly, you're protecting their health. And that's more important. That that's overrides. He's saying. So what does that do with drugs? So this is the point. So he goes on to say, says, there's no nothing more that will affect the emotional state of a person than psychedelic drugs. At the Kfar Ben Kach of it basically says you're giving you're taking what's the point? You, uh, there's a certain what's what are we concerned about? One thing is when someone's that old, you know, and their kids are dying, right? Saying like they're giving up on life. It's huge. What we call their emotional health is affected because saying look, you know, my kids are dying already. I'm gonna die. Saying so when you when you get to the point, a patient knows when you're gonna give him LSD. That means you're giving up on all other forms of treatment. And there's nothing else. This guy's saying that's that can affect their emotional health just by allowing them to take those drugs. So he's saying, that's his point. He says, the fact that you're telling the guy, yeah, you can do anything, even though it's illegal, we'll give it to you. Yeah, you're dying anyway, so to speak. There's nothing, no other form of treatment. You lost anyway. Everything's permitted for you. Cheeseburgers. He says, our goal is to, as physicians and as rabbis, is to them, to strengthen them, and to give them hope. The Ayin Begus Moshe says also the Moshe Feinstein says Shekosav in both and Shnechalim, famous response which we discussed many times. It's such, it's so strong this concept in Halacha. Moshe says a tshuva says we have an ICU where there's only um, there's no beds available, and you have a patient in the ICU which happens today a lot in many places where the the patient is is there's no treatment. It's a terminal patient. There's nothing we could do to treat the patient, but there's still he's taking up a bed in the ICU. Another patient is coming in. Who needs the bed? Okay. So and the question is, what? And could benefit from. And more could benefit from it. Well, more right. A patient who could live. Ramos so says you now let to remove the patient who's on the ventilator or in that bed in the ICU to give the the bed to the next patient, because by doing that the patient's going to realize there's no more hope. We're taking him, you know, just putting him in a room and locking him up, so to speak. He's going to give up hope on life, and that could foreshorten his life, even though he's terminal. It will foreshorten his life. Few, by a few days, mm -hmm. a few hours. Even if he wants to die. Yeah, well, that's a different question. That's counteractive. The Dewey argument, people say you should save a Dewey. No, so again, that's what he says. You tell the guy, of course, many people say if you do it, they live, etc. You have to be done. So many people moved out of the ICU and they still live. I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> you have to know. So again, it depends on the patient, what depends about on the. the guy who's not getting into the ICU? This, by the way, is one of the problems with. You're with, shortening uh, his life, too. With, uh, that's true, but this guy has precedence. He's already being treated. He has. Because he's in the bed already, and he, uh, he has, he's being treated. So that's a different question of how do you prioritize. We're saying once he's on, you can't remove the treatment from him. Right. Um, uh, that is one of the problems with, uh, what's the name again? Terrible. I said before, the, the end of life. We hospice? Hospice, yes. I'm saying because in a certain sense, basically, when you put someone in hospice, you're telling them there's no, you know, actually, sort of they're giving up on life. Actually, could be a actually the studies have shown recently. Right, so it depends. It depends on the patient. That the hospice patients live of longer. Equals that live longer. Yes. 
Okay, so that's, yeah. a, that's a very, very, very well, valid so this point. Year, valid, yes. was that was written before that yes. study came in. No, he's not, he's not dealing with Doctors on the National Health Service in Great Britain went on strike. Everybody lived longer also. The death rate went way down. Short term, but long term. Yeah, it's hard to measure, right? It's hard, yeah. yeah. No, but the hospital was slow down. Nobody wants to do the study. <laughs> no, okay, I got it. But let's just pretend that uh, when, when doctors intervene, they cause a small amount of harm, but for a longer period, create some good. And if you measure this, you got to be careful how you interpret data. If you measure that in a short period and don't look long term, uh, did things happen two, three months after they started working that uh, more people died because they didn't get the intervention? Anyway. Are you English? No. <laughs> I like my sure. beer. I like my beer cold. Go ahead. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, so he says. So he quotes. He quotes this Shuvah Ramosha. He says that if you have two beds, um, you have two patients. One's going to live forever again, so to speak. You only have one bed in the unit. Then, of course, you give. If you have two patients coming at the same time, of course, you prioritize and you give and you only have one bed, you give the bed to the patient, that's, gonna, that's not terminally ill. That's clear. But he says, um, If by giving this patient the bed, you're g the first patient who you're kicking out will understand that they're giving up on his life. And they rather treat this patient than him. He says, It's going to cause the patient emotional distress. Um, we have to be concerned that's going to cause emotional distress which will foreshorten his life even by a few days we see here that that's considered meaning you're not allowed to give the patient any indication that there's no hope for his life okay, because of the emotional stress of that of that well, when um, somebody's unconscious, diagnosis. they don't, they don't yeah, know the difference. Yeah, that's right. Well, here we're not talking about unconscious. The guy wants LSD. Unless he's still conscious. Right. He's still conscious. So they have the person who needs the bed is a relative. The person in the bed, my side, rather you save that relative than me anyway. Oh, so that's like he said. Let's say the patient wants to die, yeah. so that's a different question. Um, yeah. How you deal with that? We, we discussed that a few weeks back. And pray for the patient to die, etc. What you're allowed to do. Um, okay, number five. Finish. He says, I have another problem. You're now, there's prohibition, as we discussed many times, to destroy your body. As Jews, we're obligated to keep ourselves healthy and not to mutilate our bodies in any which way. As our body does not belong to us, it belongs to God. That's what we say, as Rosh Limbo says, our bodies are unknown from God for uh, X amount of time, for 80, 90 years. So we don't own our bodies. Not like the we're not like the feminists who say our bodies ourselves. We don't own our bodies, men or women. Uh, none of us own our bodies. The itachin shegam kasher nir elayin sheben kach omed lamus. And even though this guy's going to die anyway, okay, bechol zos asalachrivo. He still has a prohibition of destroying his body. Kshem bezek kol tayalas. Where there's not a major game. I mean, if it's a real physical treatment, you're having surgery, or you're amputating a leg, you destroy your body to save the life. Here, you're not doing that. He says it's like the case where someone, uh, it says a child, uh, or let's say, uh, saying you're throwing something out the window, and before it hits the ground, the guy comes with a baseball bat and, and smashes it to smithereens. So that guy's obligated to pay, even though that, that vessel was about to be smashed on the ground in five seconds because of gravity. But the fact that you smashed it before, um, you're still obligated, you're liable on the damage. He says the same thing, just because this person is going to die in a, few, in a few days or a few months doesn't give him permission to mutilate his body for no good reason. Which is, he's saying, the, the psychedelic drugs will do that to your body. Yes. Is this a fundamental difference between secular and religious approaches to end-of-life care? Uh, whose body is it? Yes. From a religious point of view, you would say, it's not yours. A secular says, yeah, hell yeah, it's mine, I can do whatever I exactly. want. It's a fundamental difference. It's yes. very difficult to preach that. Yes, that 100%. Okay, so that's number five. So he says, you, know, you can't mutilate your body just because you're dying doesn't give you permission to get uh, body piercings and tattoos. Yeah. It's just LSD. <laughs> Rabbis don't know what LSD is. That's the problem. They, don't, they never... That's what it sounds like. <laughs> so why are you saying LSD is not so bad? You, no, you're just talking from experience or...? No. Yeah. No, but uh, it's, they're, not, they're not mutilating themselves. They're not no, but I'm saying is it could have harmful effects. Long-term use. 
I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know anything. Long term use here. Yeah. yeah, but that's a long Five time. Seconds is could long be, term. No, I'm saying is, listen, I, I don't know too much about it, but does it affect the body in a serious way? Could it? Well, if you are getting marijuana, taking drugs like that precludes you from behaving in a way you, that's prescribed for you. No, that's something else. He's saying here, a, a fifth point, fifth point, which is, he's saying it will da you're damaging your body physically. Even though you're going to die, that doesn't give you permission to damage your body. He's saying it's not so damaging, so that's a, that's a question of fact. I don't know. I can't, I can't argue. I can't say. Um, I've, never, I've never inhaled. Um, number six. Uh, he says, He says the obligation of the patient is to strengthen himself. As we said before, maybe the doctors don't know what they're talking about. I might still live. Might still live a healthy, productive life. A commotion, a mala. He says the uh, the example is there's a medrash that says there's a certain type of of insect or worm that they only live for 12 months, but they collect enough food for like 10 years or something. Okay, they only have a 12-month lifespan, but these insects they're very optimistic. They're collecting food for the for another couple of six, five, six years. Okay, and they and they forage and they bury this food. So the Medrash says, So the same thing. He says, as humans, we're supposed to be always be the ultimate optimists. And uh, he says, even though the doctor said he only got six months to live, um, he will uh, uh, support me with life. And maybe I'll live. Okay? So now, um, so then he goes, I, I want to get to the punchline. So he say he discusses by the way that medrash again with Rashi going back to that original medrash, which is that uh, there's a difference between um, right. Rashi says that why why do non-Jews get to eat not kosher if it's harmful to the body? So why should non-Jews? How come they live very healthy, productive lives? So he discusses here. Isn't that the soul too? Isn't the food nourishing the soul? Yeah, Jewish but, but soul versus non-Jewish okay, soul. So one requires right. more nourishment than the other. One. Yeah, so true. But that's the question. Um, one second. For sure, everyone has different requirements, right? Jews are high maintenance. It's a given. Okay. Let's say two people aren't Jewish and they yeah. have different dietary requirements. No. So he's saying he, he explains that that's a di the difference between that yes. Rashi no. says why is it not applicable here? Because that's what the doctor brought in originally in his question. He says that's not applicable here. Well, the doctor said, maybe, listen, it's the end of life anyway. He's, he's no different than the non-Jewish non-kosher. Let the guy, as we see in that mashal, Rashi's analogy, says the guy's going to die anyway. The doctor tells him, you can eat what you want. We don't put him on a strict diet. Let the guy enjoy life. Not kosher-wise, but in anything-wise. Okay, medically-wise, even, right? You allow the guy to, you know, let him smoke his last month of life. You let him enjoy life a little. So, so he says that's very different because... He says, over there, it's two types of food. Food, inherently, is really good for you. Okay, so there's better food for your diet, worse food for your diet. He says, these drugs are, inherent har are inherently harmful for you. So that's not a good analogy, he says. Uh, don't bring that analogy. Because even the guy who's not going to live, we don't tell him to literally take poison. And we tell him, okay, you could have you know, things that you know, normally, you know, we don't put him on a strict diet. But he says, we don't give him things that are literally harmful. Okay, so now... And then he brings, he brings here three points, on the next page he brings three points here of things that doctors told him about LSD. Um, so he says he spoke to doctors, and number one, he says, Asam LSD, Gorem Limishtamish Bo, Sakana Midas. So he's arguing on Russ, his doctors at least, are arguing on Russ, and he's saying that taking LSD can bring an immediate danger to your life. He says, because it causes you, puts you in a state where you want to harm yourself. So many people who take these psychedelic drugs want to harm themselves without them realizing what they're doing. So they harm themselves. He says, therefore, that's, you have to be very careful in who you prescribe, who you're going to give these drugs to, because it can cause the patient to harm themselves, meaning at, be, when they're on this drug. Number two, he says, doctors told him, um, He says, many times the, the doctors, when they're making these decisions, are I think it means they're very biased. nimkar liros says they, they. It's hard for them to see the patient in such pain. The patient has pain, and nothing's taking away the pain. If this will get them out of that state, the doctor wants to help them and do anything to get them out of that state, even though it might not be the best thing for them. Um, so he says. So they want to do what's good for the patient, 
in order to, they shouldn't have to deal with it. This patient's making them crazy and, uh, and, and wants to get out of that painful state. So the doctor prescribes it, even though it could be potentially harmful for the patient. Is your critical and unspoken neglected argument against Suicide. Yeah, that's maybe you got suffer. four minutes. The rabbi just argued on you. He says that doctors told him that LSD could be immediately harmful to patients because they, it causes them to harm themselves. When they take it, many times they harm themselves. Not, not that the drug is, but it puts them in a state where they don't realize what they're doing and they harm themselves. Like cut themselves or whatever it is. It doesn't say what. So he says, number three, he says, the doctor told him, um, He says, but, the doctor told him that it could be, this could ease the pain, the emotional and the physical pain that they're having. So okay, those are the three things. And then he says, so after all this, he's obviously against giving LSD. But he says he took the question to his father-in-law, who is one of the biggest rabbis in Israel, Rebel Yashiv. And at the time, and he presented his case of why he thinks it's prohibited. And he says, Velo Kiblam, he didn't accept any of his reasons. His father in law argued with him, said, You got it all wrong. Vitan, and he explained, and he's going to explain what his father in law said, Shasvaro Meris, that logic tells us, Shemimalus Mishala, so if you do what the patient wants, so this gets back to your question of patient autonomy, which normally in halacha we don't necessarily go with what the patient wants. We, we like to say we do, we want to do what's best for the patient, even against the patient's wishes. Uh-huh. Very different than Western medicine, uh, Western society. But he says, sometimes listening to the patient will help the emotional state of the patient. And in this situation, that he really, he, he's begging and pleading to lessen his load of pain. That might help the fact that you're going to get him out of this, emo- this state of pain will help lengthen his life. So he says you should do it. And don't pay attention to the rest of my points that seem to imply against this. Um, and he's going to explain. He says, and this is according to Nachmanides, a very uh, interesting opinion. Nachmanides says, which we rule like, which is meaning, let's say a patient, there's a light on in the patient's room, and uh, uh, we're talking about a seriously ill patient, okay, now there's, there's nothing to do with his illness, he's just saying the light's bothering me, so the halacha is, you're allowed to violate Shabbat, in many cases, at first you're supposed to go to non-Jew to shut the light, um, or, right, or he says he needs a light, whatever the case is, even things that are not relevant to his treatment, says the Ramban, but it's relevant to his emotional state, as we said before, you're allowed to violate Shabbat, quote-unquote, to, to help the patient, because the Nachmanides, who was a physician, by the way, understood that this, the emotional state of the patient will help his illness, will help his physical illness. So therefore, if a patient requests the lights bothering him, or it's too cold in the room, it's too hot in the room, whatever the case is, you're allowed to violate Shabbat, to do that thing, even though it's not part of the regimen of the treatment. Okay? So that's, you see how important it is doing the patient's wishes. And sometimes it could be ridiculous. The patient says, you know, I don't like the, you know, I don't like this channel. It's making me crazy. Change the channel. Whatever it is. Things that are really have nothing to do with the treatment of the patient, but it has to do with the emotional state of the patient. Listening to them, just doing what they want. Sometimes we'll, we'll let them know that. Two minutes. Um, say that at the end. Okay? So he says, according to the Ramban, you see that that uh, we we do things to help the emotional state of the patient. Near Levi Raya, then he he brings other proofs to his father-in-law's theory, and he uh, and he goes through some of the other things. Rabbi um, uh, uh, also said why um, why why Ramosha Feinstein is not applicable here. He's saying Ramosha Feinstein's case of not taking marijuana. Why not to take marijuana? Six reasons that he gives. His response that's for a healthy person. That's for a normal healthy person. He says, that's not applicable here. We're here, the yeah. person's in major pain. You're giving him the drugs only for one reason, to ease his pain. That's not what Ramosha Feinstein's case was talking about. He's talking about someone who's taking recreational marijuana. Medical marijuana, or in this case, medical LSD, says it's a whole different story, and it's, it's not applicable, all those issues there. So by, basically, just to sum it up, because we're out of time, he says, Lania's deity, the, at the end of the day, Humble opinion, I would think not to give him the LSD. to my father-in-law, did not accept my ruling. You should give him the LSD as to to maybe give him some hope and lengthen his life to whatever possible. So that's the answer. Yes. So the dangerous implication of his father-in-law's opinion is that 
at least the public policy arguments of the case He's saying, no, sorry, those are the reason we're seeing That's yes. dangerous. He does address yeah. it. He didn't, he didn't read it, but he addresses that. That's a very good point. Next week, we're going to get to more the issue, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. It's a very important point. You know, the question really here, again, is boils down to public policy versus the individual and how we make that decision. It's a good question. Thank you.